Welcome again, and we also want to welcome those who are watching online as we uh, delve into the scripture. It's an important part of every week's worship here as we unpack God's word and what it has to say to us. And no matter how many people are watching online, no matter how many people are in the room, uh, you'll feel that the message is directed personally at you. It has nothing to do with my oratory skill. (laughs) It's more about God's ability to take his word and apply it to you. He's going to prompt your heart, prompt your mind to receive a message that's right for you. It's an amazing thing, God's word. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the conscience and the heart. You know, it does go right to the heart of our issues. We're glad that you're here. I'm Steve Howard. I'm teaching pastor, and we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12 in a minute. The series is called King and I, and we've set a bit of a stage over here, and it looks a little awkward. You'd wonder what that's about. And the idea is, what if you were able to sit down in a chair that's comfortable for you, And have a conversation with the king. And not just any king, but the king of kings and the lord of lords. We want to talk about intimacy with the lord throughout this series. And today we're talking about the importance of honesty as we have that conversation with our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I'm a mere man filled with frailties, shortcomings, inability. And so I commend my spirit to your spirit, Lord, that you would overcome my weaknesses and show yourself strong. Lord, use the words that I have studied, the word that we find in your scripture, to bring a message of truth, a message of affirmation, a message of comfort, a message of love to your people. Encourage us, Lord, for how great is our need in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today as we talk about uh, approaching the Lord, we want to talk about honesty and the importance of honesty as you come before the Lord. You know, not acting the way you think you should act, but just an honest opportunity for you to be in the presence of the Lord. Honesty is hard in our culture. I don't know about you, but uh, in the place where I work here at this ministry, uh, we do personnel evaluations. Do you do those? Yeah, we do them twice a year. And... uh, No one likes them. Those who give them don't care for them much, and those who receive them. But we all know they're powerful. But they're only powerful if there's honesty involved. Uh, I would rather receive an evaluation, no matter how brutal, no matter how candid, no matter how honest, uh, from uh, those who review me, as opposed to doing reviews, but yet I have to do reviews as well. It's always hard for me to be honest. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Garrett, our senior pastor, And I was asking about another key leader who had to do a few reviews of their own uh, in their staff. And I said, well, what do you think about that person? Do you think that they're capable of being candid and honest in their review of their staff? Because that department needs some work. And in perfect honesty, back to me, he said, well, they may not be as candid as you and I might be. And then I just burst into (laughs) a giggle because, you know... We are bluntly honest with each other, you know, always in an affirming, always in a positive way, but we have no difficulty being honest, you know. We always say we want to, uh, you know, fix a problem, not fix blame. But we have to, to fix a problem, have to be honest about that. But deceptive nature has become a part of our culture. Uh, there are laws protecting us against false advertising, but don't be mistaken, uh, companies still have a way of being deceptive 
while abiding by the law. Uh, here are some ways in which they get around truth in advertising. They have hidden fees and surcharges on your bill. Now, I don't know about you, but I do enjoy when I have a moment to sit down and, and watch some TV. And, and in order to get good TV today, you have to have a service that's provided. And, and uh, I'm curious as to why my cable bill is always so high. I think this is ridiculous. You know, because they advertise that you can get, you know, your cable provided for $29.95. I think, wow, 30 bucks. Why is my bill more than 120 bucks? Why did, how, does that, how does that happen? And, and well, uh, I don't need a phone line, so I don't need the bundle. Well, if you don't need the bundle, then your charge goes up, you know. You know, that's your fault. It's not our fault. We want to offer you the bundle. And I say, well, I don't want the bundle. I just want internet and I want my TV. So that should be about 60 bucks, right? Well, no, if you don't get the phone. I don't even have a phone line at home anymore, so I don't need that. Well, then, you know, the charge is going to be greater. And uh, you have more than one TV? Really? You have more than one TV? Well, you need this box that will convert the signal to your TV. So my TVs are modern. They're new. They're digital. They can handle your signal. Well, in order to choose the channels, you have to have the box. And by the way, uh, they're $8 a piece. And you have four TVs. That's 32 bucks more. And more. And, and you want the golf channel? Well, that's a 15 buck premium, you know. Why would I have a TV if it didn't have the golf channel, you know? And, and so suddenly, suddenly my bill is, is more than it ought to be. And I just think that's not right. And, th and then I book a flight. Do you ever fly anywhere? You know, is it too far for you to drive to see your kids or, or uh, your grandparents or whatever or take a vacation? And I think I go online like you do and I look at all the good sites that give me the best possible price. And so I choose a really good price. And, and then it says, so how many suitcases do you want to take? Well, I think I got to have clothes when I get there. You know, I, I, think I, I think I need to take a few. Well, the first bag is $25, but if you want to take two, that's $35. And if you want to take your golf clubs, which, by the way, just for honesty here, uh, weigh less than my wife's suitcase. <laughs> they weigh 35 pounds, but she can take 50 pounds in her suitcase, but they'll charge me 50 bucks for my bag and 25 bucks for her. Why is that? I don't know. It's because they make money. You know, there's hidden fees and surcharges. There's manipulation of standards. Do you know? You know right now that uh, if do you grill? I grill a little bit, and uh, and I like to trim the meat before I grill. And and it's interesting to me that by the time I trim the meat, the trimmings are over here and the meat's over here, and it's about the same weight. You know, I noticed that. And and then there's that little paper that they put under it that soaks all the juices, and that's about the same weight. So I get like a third of what I've actually bought. Have that ever happened to you? And, and now you can actually advertise 100% beef, and it can have 10 to 30 percent filler in it. Really? Filler? You can do that? Yeah, it's called cellulose. And you know what cellulose is? It's soy or it's actually wood fiber. They put wood pulp in your food. You know, your body can't even digest that stuff. You know, manipulation of standards. And if you get there on your plane and you want a car, do you want a subcompact? Do you want a compact? Do you want a midsize? Do you want a full size? And honest to God, as I stand in that line, I can't tell the difference. But there is a difference in the price. And you don't want to go too small because you have that 50-pound bag and your golf clubs. Incredible manipulation of standards, fillers, oversized packaging. In fact, CVS Pharmacy has just settled a large suit in California uh, just recently because the box they were, sending, they were selling their facial cream in was twice the size of the product. <laughs> they finally got busted on that. 
misleading comparisons. You know, how many times have we read on the box, this is better than the leading brand. What's better about it? Well, the lid is better than the leading brand, you know, or, or it's 50% stronger. 50% stronger than what? Well, if you didn't have it, it's 50% stronger than that. <laughs> or it's all natural, or it's light. All these fudge words that they use, you know, to uh, be less than honest. What would it look like if people came to you honestly? If people actually said, you know, what they meant. Uh, I've never been involved in online dating. When I was dating, they didn't have online. Uh, but this is what it might look like today if they were honest. My personal ad specifically said I was a dog person who enjoyed long walks on the beach. You know, <laughs> reality of perception versus reality that is real. You know, how many times have you who have online dated discovered that this person is nothing like what you believed they would be. And uh, there are more as well. Uh, how about Campbell's soup? Mm-mm, salt. You know, if you've ever looked at the label on Campbell's soup, you know. <laughs> Pardon me if you work for Campbell's. Uh, I, I came down Highway 141 the other day because we were in North County and, and uh, I, I heard that there was an accident on Highway 40, so I was trying to avoid it. And everybody had heard that, and so they were all on 141. And I thought it would be better if signs on the highway actually said this, prepared to be annoyed. You know, that would, that would just help me handle the frustration that I'm about to enter. You know, truth in advertising. I love this one. It's a, it's a van of some kind made by Mitsubishi, and it says, picks up five times more women than a Lamborghini. Which, <laughs> it's absolutely honest, you know, absolutely true. I, I think there's a play on words going on there. And uh, this one is cool. I like this. A guy who's begging on the street. Hello, my name is Kirk. I'm a massive pothead. I want you to give me some money so I can get stoned and eat a burrito. You know, just like, I think he would probably do well. You know, there's something about honesty that appeals. And, and this one finally too, uh, a cat box. You know, cat, a pillar, makes heavy-duty equipment. They're now into clothes and into shoes. And this is a cat box and it actually shows the cat inside the box. <laughs> Truth in advertising. We want to talk about the truth of uh, Nathan, the prophet, speaking a word to King David. And how important it was that David become honest to God. Honesty in approaching intimacy with the Lord. It's huge. We're going to be taking a look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can just click on that. Choose live event and choose St. John. You know, there's actually a Bible in your pew. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's not too far in, about a third of the way into your Bible. You can page around until you find it that way as well. But before we get to this uh, conversation that Nathan has with King David, I think you need to know the backstory. There needs to be a little context. So let me just share with you what happens in chapter 11, the chapter previous to the one we're going to study. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring, during the time when kings go off to war, David sent his general Joab, along with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, to attack the Ammonites. So he sent the army out. He didn't need to go out anymore. His kingdom was well established. He was the most powerful man in the world. And he decided this was a, a rather uh, insignificant battle. I don't need to go. The Ammonites are attacking part of our kingdom go and suppress them. And so the king stayed back in town, sent his general, sent his army, and he waited for word of how the battle went. So King David was idle. He was powerful. He had established his own palace. He had everything that he wanted by the snap of his hands. 
which is something considering he'd been a shepherd boy to begin with. He had risen to that kind of power under the blessing of God. And one night while he was uh, having difficulty sleeping, he was on the, the roof of the palace and he observed a woman on a different roof in the middle of the night bathing because of the cool of the evening. And she was a beautiful woman and she was naked. And David lusted after her. And so he sent people to discover who she was, invited him to the palace and developed a sexual relationship because her husband was off with the army as a captain in the king's army. As it turned out, the lady became pregnant. And David thought, wow, now I've got a problem. You know, I'm going to be discovered. It's going to be a disgrace and, and uh, it may create, you know, some uh, difficulty for me. And so here's what he decided to do. He sent a runner, and he wanted to inquire about the battle. And so he said to his general, Joab, please send this woman's husband, who's a captain in the army, send uh, Uriah back to bring me word of the battle. And so Uriah came back, and David, under pretense, pretended that he wanted to know about the battle. But in fact, he was bringing Uriah back so that Uriah would spend a couple of nights with his wife and cover the pregnancy situation. But after Uriah reported to the king, Uriah, because he was a soldier and he knew that the rest of the soldiers were in the field sleeping in tents, he says as much in the words, refused to go home to be with his wife. He said that would not be right for a soldier when his brother's soldiers are in the field in battle uh, to have the luxuries of of being at home and, and being with my wife. And so he went to the barrack and he slept with the men in the barrack who were guarding Jerusalem. When David heard about it, he was incensed. And he said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll invite him back again. And he got him drunk. And he thought, well, if he gets drunk, you know, he'll, he'll forget his duty and he'll go home and be with his wife. But Uriah was a man of integrity and he would not go home and be with his wife. He did get drunk. He just went back to the barracks and slept it off. So David said, there's nothing more I can do. I'm going to write a note to the general. And I'm going to send it back with Uriah. And I'm going to say in the note, because Uriah is such a man of integrity, I know he won't read it. I'm going to say, put Uriah in the front line, in the most dangerous part of the battle. And when the enemy comes out against you, pull back from him and make sure that he dies in battle. And that's what happened. And David received word and he brought Bathsheba into his house and made her his wife. Now we pick up God's concern about this deception. And he sent a man by the name of Nathan, who was a prophet, to speak to the king about his sin. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to the king, he said, King, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and herds of cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and with his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. That little ewe lamb was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or one of his own cows to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, because he could, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he killed it and he prepared it for the one who had come to visit. David burned with anger against that man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, that man who did this must die. 
he must pay for that lamb four times over because he has done such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, your enemy. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel. I gave you all of Judah. And if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise my commandments? By doing what you know is evil in my sight. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonite. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And this actually literally happened when David's son Absalom uh, mounted an insurrection against him and took his wives to be his own. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. And he did in order to declare that he was now king in Jerusalem. David had fled the town. You did this in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, And the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but there will be consequence. Because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. The son born to you will die. I want to just share with you uh, three truths that we can derive from this text. There are many more. And then just three takeaway points that might be helpful uh, in your drawing near to the Lord, uh, your relationship with the king. Point number one, uh, this story and this entire series, The King and I, uh, is about true faith that focuses on the one who changes your life, not on the life that you wish to change. Now there's a danger for pastors there's a danger for teachers that we say, well, they already know what Jesus has done for them. You know, they know that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to be their savior. Uh, so let's get to the application. Let's get to the story. Let's get to the truth of the matter. No matter what the truth is, let's, let's talk about how you handle blessing. Let's talk about how you handle setback. And here are the four points about how you handle a difficult situation, a difficult person. Or, or why uh, it is better to give than to receive. And, and there's a danger that we begin to teach about the changed life rather than the one who changes life. And I'm here to tell you that uh, while there is truth in the Bible apart from Christ, Christ is the key to all of that truth. This is a story about God's desire to remain close in his relationship to his son. Didn't matter whether he was a king didn't matter whether he was Uriah, didn't matter if he was poor, didn't matter whether he was rich. This book is a love story about what God has done for you and how dearly he loves you and how he wants to help you in life. But it all starts with your relationship with the Lord. 
that has been made possible through Jesus Christ, your Savior. It's true that this book has a world of treasure in it. You know, it is helpful uh, about how to protect yourself. It is helpful about wisdom in day-to-day activity. But I'll tell you, if you know all of that and you don't know Jesus, you have received the lesser truth. But if you know Jesus, all of that will come almost second nature. He was the word of God made flesh who walked among us. In him, as we draw close to him, we also draw close to the Lord. And in him, we see not only our salvation, we also see wisdom for life. And so it's very essential. It's, it's, I cannot stress it too much that you understand the Christian faith is not about rules. It's not about a behavior. It's not about a life that God wants you to live. It's not the Christian life. It's about your relationship with God. And the Lord wants that relationship to be strong. And anything that gets between you and him, he will deal with. That's why he's placed a conscience in your heart. That's why the word of God hurts when we read it. You know, because there are things amiss in your life. There are things amiss in my life. And I need to be reminded. I need honesty. I need someone to speak honestly to me. And God will always do that. And yet when we uh, look at our sin, uh, we can quickly despair and say there's no hope for us. I remember as a kid growing up, whenever we had the Lord's Supper uh, at church, uh, we usually went through the longer confessional service in preparing our hearts to receive the blessing of the sacrament. And the pastor would read something from the hymnal called the Exhortation. Those words struck me even as a child, and I still recall them, and I still remember them. Uh, The pastor would say, but if we thus examine ourselves, you know, if you're going to take the Lord's Supper, it behooves you, the old King James, it behooves you to examine your life. You know, and to acknowledge that your need is great. You know, if you forget that you have a need, if you don't acknowledge your sin, you will soon lose appreciation for your Savior. Amen? So it's important that we talk about our sin so that we have an understanding of our need for a Savior. But if, the, if we thus examine our sinful life, we will find nothing in us but sin and death from which we can in no way, actually the old King James said in no wise, set ourselves free. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ has had mercy on us because he knows that we are sinful people and we can't overcome our sinful nature no matter how hard we try. Has had mercy on us and has taken upon himself our nature. You know, God became man so that he might fulfill for us the whole will and law of God. And that's what Jesus did. And for us and for our deliverance, then he suffered what we deserved, our death and all that we by our sins deserved. So first and foremost, this is a story about Jesus who changes your life. It's about God who loves you, not so much the life that you want to change. Secondly, this side of heaven, none of us is bulletproof. None of us is able to escape our sinful nature. It's just true about us. And in fact, there are scriptures that say, God is mindful that we are but dust. You know, he will not treat us as our sins deserve. He knows that we're sinful people. You know, all day long, he will hold out his hand to an obstinate and disobedient people. We all fall down. In fact, let me just back it up a little bit. Before David became king of Israel, let's go back to when they had judges. Eli was a judge. And and Eli had sons. And when Eli became old, uh, God said his sons are ungodly. They were raised by a godly man, but they were not godly. He had not done a good job of raising his boys. 
And uh, this is how we meet Samuel, because Samuel's mother had prayed for a child, and, and uh, she'd been blessed with this child, Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord, and she brought him to Eli to be raised uh, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And uh, remember the story of Samuel, how in the middle of the night the Lord came to him and said, Samuel, Samuel. And he ran to Eli, thinking the old man was calling him, and, and uh, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. And this happened a number of times. And finally, Eli realized that God was calling him. And he said, the next time you hear the voice, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears you. And so it's Samuel, Samuel. And he said, speak, Lord, your servant hears you. And this is the message that God gave to Samuel. He said, Eli has become old and his sons are godless. So I'm going to raise you up and make you the next judge of all of Israel. And then he told Eli that the next day. And Eli said, let it be as God says. You know, as painful as that was to acknowledge his failure as a dad. But what's amazing about that is when Samuel got old, you know what? He had boys, and they were evil too. How could he see it and do the very same thing? It was his human nature to not be the person that he should have been for his own family. And so God came to Samuel and he said, you know, your boys are evil just like Eli's boys were evil. And so I'm going to choose a new man to be king and his name is going to be Saul. And so they gave them their first king, Saul. And when Saul began, he was humble. In fact, he didn't even want to be king. He was hiding in the baggage. And they had to go and find him and declare him to be king. And then he went back to his farm. He didn't make a palace for himself. He, he didn't think of himself differently. Not at first, but by the end he did. He began to build statues of himself around the country and saying, look at all the things I've achieved. When in fact, God had achieved it through him. And so the prophet came to Saul and said, God has taken away the kingdom from you and he's going to give it to a shepherd boy named David. David was poor. He had no power, no standing, and God made him king. And guess what? David too became evil. No one in this room is beyond temptation no one in this room is beyond failure. The cost of faith is eternal vigilance and humility. To always be willing to hear honesty and to be willing to adjust your life and repent of honesty. This is the difference between David and all the other kings. In fact, every other king is compared to him because when David sinned, as we all sin, he repented. He said, Lord created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Lord, if you kept track of sin, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore I honor you. And, and it came from his heart, and so God offered him forgiveness. This side of heaven, everyone falls down. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said about his own faith, I do not consider myself as yet having taken hold of the blessing that God intends for the faithful. He says, no, one thing I do, I, I forget my sin in the past, I've confessed it, I've been forgiven of it, and I strain on toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul said that there is nothing good in me, you know. It's only through the grace and forgiveness of God, and even though I have called others to faith, I know that I'm not beyond temptation myself. That's the attitude we should all have. No one is beyond. David was not beyond. You are not beyond, I am not beyond sin, and I will fall into sin, and so will you. And then we need to know this final point. This side of death, no one has ever gone too far. God never gives up on you. Never gives up on his own. He didn't give up on David. He could have just said, well, you know, David has failed, but he sent a prophet out of concern for him to call him to repentance. 
You belong to the Lord. You are his child, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. You will give up on yourself before God will give up on you. You will give up on God before God gives up on you. I've seen it over and over again. You know, people who finally uh, get so frustrated with their sinful life that uh, they will offend others around them so that they are not called to honesty anymore, so they don't have to feel shame anymore. And rather than deal with their sin, they'll even get angry at God and be offended at God and stay away from church rather than deal with the thing that is really troubling their life, and that is their sinful nature. All day long, God extends his hand to an obstinate and disobedient people. It's said uh, throughout the Bible, but I like the way Ezekiel says it in chapter 33. Speaking for God, he says, Say to my people, as surely as I live, declares the King, the Sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of sinners, but rather that they would turn from their ways and find life. He's begging you, turn, turn away from your evil way. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you persist in self-destructive behavior? Turn away from your sin and find life. That's what God begs of you. Honesty, constant honesty as you approach the Lord for intimacy. Now, just three quick takeaways that I think are important in the lesson. First of all, it's always easier to see the error in somebody else's life, isn't it? That's why Nathan came and said, There was a man who had only one little ewe lamb, and there was another man who had all that he could possibly manage. And he did evil, and he took that one ewe lamb, and he killed it, and he fed it to a stranger. And David said, that man should surely die. David could see the error of that man's ways. And then Nathan said, you are that guy. You are that man. You know, we are blind to our own faults, aren't we? It's easier to see it in somebody else. You know, I can see in somebody else that, you know, jealousy has captured their heart. I can see that they are judgmental by nature. I can say, why do you doubt God's love? Why are you fearful about what you're facing? Don't you know what he has done for you on the cross? Don't you know that he made heaven and earth? There is nothing that he cannot do. I can see their doubt. I can't see my own. Why are they so selfish? Why do they lie? But you are that man. I am that man. I have to own that myself. You know, it's not that we shouldn't be honest with each other. It's not that we shouldn't hold each other accountable. But we should always do that in a very gracious way. Knowing that we too are sinners. We approach a sinner as a sinner. And we should acknowledge that we too have our faults. Second takeaway. Forgiveness is not the same as consequence. David was forgiven, wasn't he? And yet Bathsheba was still pregnant. Uriah was still dead. You can be forgiven your sin. And still suffer the consequence of the behavior. And all of us have been there. All of us have seen relationships hurt or damaged or strained. All of us have uh, uh, suffered setback financially because of mistakes that we made. You know, we can be forgiven for that. Uh, You know, we can lose a job and we can be forgiven for what we did that we know now, you know, alert to our error that was wrong. But the consequence is still there. You know, uh, I sometimes wonder uh, about... God's prophecy concerning David here that the sword will not depart from his own house. I think some of that was predictive and not just uh, uh, causatory. I, I don't think God necessarily caused that. You know, God was just declaring that your behavior is going to lead to consequence in your own house, David. And it did. 
you know, if you're unfaithful like this, if you are an absent father, there's going to be consequence for that, David. And God called it out, and David felt it and discovered it, and it became true for him. You know, God had forgiven him as he has forgiven me, and yet sometimes there's consequence. But this is also important to understand, that God can turn even the consequence into blessing. And he does. There's a scripture, in fact, it was my mom's favorite scripture, was from Romans 8, 28. Uh, that said, for God can cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. No matter what the consequence of your sin, no matter what you suffer, no matter what you, uh, the failure that you experience because of your behavior, God can use that. God can turn that into a blessing. Remember when he predicted that Peter would deny him three times? And then he said this. He said, but when you recover, use what you've learned from your failure to benefit others consequence can be turned by God into a blessing even sinful consequence can be used by God to be a blessing to us so don't fear admitting your failure welcome the consequence that God doesn't wish on you but will use for you to accomplish great things let me just make a summary statement and finish with a prayer when you're honest about your sin you are more available to God don't let anything stand between you and your Lord that's why we confess our sins. That's why we admit our need for a Savior. And when you are more available to God, good things are bound to happen. Good things happen for David because he was constantly aware of his need for God. Uh, at the end of his life, it's interesting that he desired to build the temple uh, uh, for God. And, and God said, no, David, you're a man of blood and you've shed blood. And, and some of that was even required. Some of that I even commanded. But I want your son, a man of peace, to build my temple for me. Uh, he said, don't forget, I took you from following sheep and made you king over Israel. You know, that was David's strength, to remember where he came from. And to remember it was by God's grace and God's power that he had what he had. And, and David understood that, and I think that was a strength in his life. David wrote this beautiful psalm, and, and I want to finish with this. Uh, I picture him going out on his palace uh, porch. And looking off to the hills of Bethlehem, which was only uh, a couple of miles in the distance. And he could see shepherd boys. And don't you know when David rode at the front of his army and he passed shepherd boys, you know, in all the might and all the power, he would look at that shepherd boy and he would just smile because he had been a shepherd boy. And now he rode in front of an army. And I think about David looking at that shepherd boy and, and uh, as he looked off to the hills, maybe writing these words. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He can do anything. He will not let your foot slip. Don't you know that he who keeps you never sleeps? He who watches over the faithful never slumbers, never sleeps. That's how the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. No harm will befall you by day. No harm will befall you by night. But God will be there. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, even now and forevermore. It's about a relationship. It's not about a life. It's about the one who changes life, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.